Amen. Thank you, Brianna. You may be seated. If you have a Bible, you can open up to Galatians chapter 6. We'll be starting in verse 11. But first, some announcements and uh, pictures and prayer. So first, if you're new, visiting, welcome. Uh, we're glad to have you here. If you are going, why are all these kids in here? Um, these wonderful, stinking germ-filled children. <laughs> Some of them are mine. Uh, it's because it's the fifth Sunday of the month. And so for the fifth Sunday of the month, we celebrate by having family worship Sunday. So kids, even though I just insulted all of you, we love you and we're glad that you're with us this morning. And there's a reason why John's not in youth ministry. Yes, yeah. uh, which is a great segue. <laughs> the youth went to Fossil Creek on Wednesday, right? There they are at Fossil Creek, uh, part of the youth group. Part uh, of it. Yes, so nobody, nobody drowned. One ate a life fish uh, at the influence of the youth pastor. It was just a friendly dare, a friendly dare. <laughs> and the child ate it and is living in here with us today. Elliot, good to see you, buddy. <laughs> my son, my child. Uh, chip off the old block, as they say. Um, and then beyond that, we wanted to do something slightly different this Sunday, uh, not only just in team teaching, but knowing that many of you are either going into or are already in school. I think Skyview is the only one that, that started already. For you Prescott Unified kids, you are going in this week. For you Trinity kids, uh, that's the 14th, right, that school starts. And then for you homeschoolers, school never stops. So <laughs> everything is educational. Um, so here's what we're going to do. Uh, kids, we want you to stand in your chair right now. All right? It's, you get permission. I, I love it. One of them just looked at your parents like, I'm not allowed to do that. And what we're going to do is Anthony's going to pray for you all as you get ready to go for school. And then I'm going to pray for uh, teachers and administrators and all that fun stuff. So kids, you can stand on your chair. Because all the adults want to see you and we want to pray for you. Yep, go for it. Come on, kids. Come on, gentlemen. Yep, let's go. All right, here you go. If you, you don't want to stand in your chair, at least stand up. Yeah. Yeah, at least stand up. Yeah. <laughs> all right, let's, let's pray for the kids. Uh, God, we uh, thank you for the good gift that uh, all these children are to every individual family and, and especially to this church family. God, thank you that you've entrusted uh, their hearts, uh, their minds to us to, to mold and, and point to you. And I pray that we would do that as a church. And as they head back to school, uh, God, I pray that you would um, give them all great attitudes yes, to, to learn all the things they need to learn. And, uh, and I pray especially for their, uh, their teachers, their principals, and their parents, God, that you would give them grace to um, walk well with them uh, during this school year. So be with the kids, and, and I pray that they would, um, they would, they would be able to remain uh, kids as long as they possibly can. Uh, they wouldn't pursue um, all the weird things that, adult, that they think adults do, and, um, and they just enjoy the simplicity of, of life as a child. Um, may, may they feel and know your love, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, kids. Thank you.
Now, if you are a teacher or an educator, would you stand up? Or in administration as well, that counts too. You guys? Yeah. <laughs> that was brilliant. That was perfect. Yeah. <laughs> or if you volunteer yeah, yeah. at a school, Lois, stand up. We got Josh, Christine, we see you in the back. You're already standing, and we'll highlight you. Chemistry. Hi, Christine. Home educators, you can stand up too. That's you, Karen. All right. All right. Yes. God bless you and keep you. Let me pray for you all. Well, Father, I thank you for uh, these parents, these teachers, these adults that um, are in the world of education. And as they get ready to receive kids either into their home and, and rebooting homeschool or into uh, an institution that you would settle their hearts and minds in the good news of Jesus mm -hmm. as they are in the middle of what has become a cultural battleground um, that you would give them the clarity and the vision they need to uh, love you and love people well uh, mm -hmm. that they would not be swayed by the craziness of the world and of some parents um, but they would uh, be rooted and grounded in your love in your truth as they seek to um, help and educate uh, this next generation. And so may your peace be on them as they get back into the hustle of uh, everyday life in the world of education. We thank you for them. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, friends, Galatians chapter 6, verse 11 through 18. Larry and Jorgen are going to read for us, pray, and then we'll get into it. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hands. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are so circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you consumicized that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for everything, no circumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them, and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear my body the mark of Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Father, I pray that you would speak to us today. Father, I pray that we would walk in the new creation that you have made us. And, Father, that we would use all of our mind and soul and resources you've given us, Lord, to 
uh, think of creative ways we can show love for you and not earn salvation, but just to show our appreciation for your love for us and your salvation. Bless the speakers we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you, gentlemen. I forgot to announce that we have a potluck afterwards as well. It could be that I was mildly distracted uh, because I was in the kitchen and a Diet Coke exploded all over me during the first song of worship. So I was feverishly cleaning it up. So if you smell Diet Coke, okay. it's not Beth, okay. it's me. Okay. okay. <laughs> Beth likes her Diet Coke. Um, so here we are at the end of another book, and it is Galatians. We started this, if you'll remember, on Easter Sunday. Uh, kids, that's the last time we were all together, was Easter Sunday of this year. And your parents have toughed it out all the way through this entire epistle. And if you want a really, really good summary, uh, go check out the Bible Project's video on it. It's about eight, nine minutes, and they do a fantastic job encapsulating all of this book. I'm just going to give you a couple sentences on what it's all about. Paul is attempting to recenter a people who had drifted from Jesus in the beauty and simplicity of the gospel. There was false teachers that came into this group of churches that were saying, Jesus is great, but also you need to adhere to the law and you need to be circumcised. Uh, Bible Project says that it was adventures in missing the point. Adventures in missing the point is these people are led astray by this false teaching. And so Paul, in order to recenter them, just again and again and again emphasizes the simplicity of the gospel, that is Jesus Christ crucified and raised, and placing your faith in him, being empowered by his spirit, and, and being together as a true community of faith, as the true community of faith. And he does that by retracing the story all the way back to Genesis and shows them their connection to this story going all the way back to Abraham. You kids may remember in, I don't know if we do this song here at Union or not, but Father Abraham, he had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them. So are you. So let's just praise the Lord. Right hand. Kids, you aren't doing that song, are you? Nope. It's lost, and I can see it on your faces that are staring at me going, what's this guy talking about? <laughs> Galatians is how one becomes a son or daughter of Abraham. And so today, as Paul is landing the proverbial plane, it's the final invitation towards life and rest. And if you have ears to hear, this is a way of becoming unstuck. They were stuck. And many of us may feel that way today, stuck. Kids, if you haven't been told yet, in life you will, in following Jesus at some point in time, become stuck. Go, what's the point of it all? Why am I here? What's this about? How do I get out of this rut that life kind of has a, a way of just simply creating? This gives us an invitation to becoming unstuck. And it's not hard. It's not revolutionary. It's not groundbreaking. It's really really simple. Mm -hmm. And as Anthony and I were talking about this this week, uh, I was reminded of a couple things. One is that Anthony is an expert in almost anything. Uh, if there's a documentary out there, 95% chance he's watched it. <laughs> no. And we started thinking about this theme of being stuck and, and the, the 
theme of zucosis came up. And, and I didn't know what this was until we went to Austria together last year, and uh, it'll be on the screen. We saw this bear, and this bear was doing this on repeat. It would fumble at food, go by, it would turn around and just trace back and forth. And Anthony said, that bear has lost its mind. And I said, how do you know that? You, I know who you are. You're, you're a pastor. You have no experience in biology whatsoever. But he'd probably seen a documentary and knew a thing or two about zucosis. <laughs> but I do have a certificate in zoology. No. <laughs> No, I, I, I don't. I'm not an expert, um, but I am interested in the idea of zucosis, and uh, I was first fascinated by the idea, and then I learned there was a word attached to it. Because all he just kept saying was, oh, that bear's lost its mind. That bear's <laughs> lost its mind. I'm like, who are you? How do you even know what that bear's thinking at all? <laughs> okay, so here's the definition of zucosis. Um, zucosis is, a, is mental anguish made visible by abnormal behavior. Uh, and this is, this is often uh, 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 learned in lives that are uh, lived in captivity. And this produces uh, pacing, bar biting, bobbing, weaving, etc. So when you see that happening at a zoo, it's uh, probably more, more likely than not <laughs> your animal has zucosis. <laughs> And, you know, it's, it's really, really sad. And, and John, well, I'm just hoping he gets a heart for animals because uh, when we've seen these animals, he says, no, they're fine, they're fine. And I said, no, no, they're maddened. They're, they, they want out of the cage. And so it's really, really sad when animals have zucosis. And it's quite remarkable when this animal is liberated. And perhaps if you remember a few weeks ago, I was t talking to you about that, um, that chimpanzee video the, the chimpanzee getting out of the cage. Well, we have that for you today. We're wrapping up Silly News Sunday into the sermon for you kids that are like, where's the silly news? This is it. Was it in captivity for like 20 years? It was like 20 years, yeah, something like that. 14 years, 14, yeah. 15 years. I mean, play it one more time. Yeah, it's look, it's watch the look watch on its, its face. face. And his bro's going, yeah, check it out, the green grass. Yeah, it's amazing. It's it's pretty pretty powerful video, isn't it? Um, enough to even warm this guy's yeah. cold, dead heart. <laughs> <laughs> so, obviously, zucosis is something that happens in uh, animals. But what I find fascinating, and this is the connection that we were making when we were studying, is that, that uh, it's interesting when Christians actually exhibit zucosis as well. And, and, and just so you know, I'm not that weird or that crazy. Um, I'm not talking about literally, but something like it. Um, you, and you know what I mean? There's you, perhaps you've gone through seasons, and perhaps you know someone who, has, uh, who lives like they're in captivity um, when they're actually free, especially when, when it comes to Christianity. 
You know, in the book of Galatians, Paul's trying to tell the people of God that you're free and stand in the freedom that Christ has purchased for you. But the temptation is to actually climb back into a cage to have this, uh, this idea or this, this feeling, this sense of liberation, but actually living a, a, a discordant and shackled uh, life. And I was... Yeah, anyway, I'm going to skip that. I had, a, I had a story. I'm going to skip that. It's too personal. But uh, I have a quote from uh, American pastor Harry uh, Emerson Fosdick, and he, he, has a, he has a quote that really summarizes the neurosis of what it looks like when a Christian is struggling with zucosis. And he says this. He says, He who cannot rest cannot work. He who cannot let go cannot hold on. And he who cannot find footing cannot go forward. Isn't that, isn't that a terrible and extremely accurate uh, idea around what, you know, someone who struggles to settle, uh, settle looks like? And if you, you know, we've already touched on it. The book of Galatians is about a group of Christians who are struggling with zucosis. They were uh, free. They're, but they're considering climbing back into the cage of religion. They're tempted to believe that God embraces them based upon uh, Jesus and the, the observance of rites and rituals. And that specific, um, that specific rite and ritual was the, the act of circumcision. And I'll read verses 12 and 13 just so you understand just how big a problem it was in their community. In verse 12, it says, It is uh, those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do, do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. So basically, you have a group of religious people just looking to get a notch on their belt. And John and I had a bunch of silly conversations wondering how they kept track of all the conversions. Um, and that, I'll just leave that for your imagination. <laughs> Someone's like, oh my, that's pretty great. For family yeah. worship, nonetheless, yeah, yeah. you put that in there. Yeah. Good, good, good. So in the last, so in the last chapter here, as, he's, as Paul's wrapping up Galatians, he's asking them, at the end of the day, where is your boast going to be? Like, what are you going to truly rely on? What are you going to truly boast about in your life? And I, and I love it because verse 11 begins with Paul taking the pen from his amanuensis, his, his secretary, and he starts scribbling with large letters so that people can know the amount of urgency he has around this letter. He starts writing the letter himself. And it's his one last attempt to get through to these believers these people who are stuck in a rut, who are struggling with zucosis, it's one last, uh, one last chance to show them that Christianity is all about an internal transformation, not an ascribing to a bunch of extracurricular religious activities. And that's basically what's going on. And so if we learn anything from Paul's techniques throughout this letter and others, uh, he I wouldn't say he's a one-trick pony, maybe a two- or three-trick pony, but what he utilizes again and again is rerouting God's people in the story to show them who they are, 
where they are, and, and we've talked about through this letter when they are, and he does it through this closing section as well. He's showing them that's where your rest and your boast can be, is in Jesus. And in Jesus, he uses the imagery of the Exodus, you're no longer slaves, but you're sons. Through the letter, he said, you are no longer aliens, that is outside of the promises of God, but you are brought in to experience the inheritance that Christ would offer his people. And you go, well, how is that good news possible? And he says, it's only in and through Jesus. That's the solid ground where Christians can find themselves regardless of where they are, when they are, or who they are. In the cross, there's life, there's safety, there's freedom, there's joy, there's this fruit that he spoke about in chapter number five. And then when it comes to when and where they are, uh, he says in verse 15, there's this new creation that has come about. He says, for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. That is that Christians are in a new environment here and now. They're no longer enslaved to the old age, but the new age has broken in. Uh, it is that the f there's one theologian that, that talks about in, in very uh, artsy terms that the future has broken into the present. That there's this future promise that God is going to make all things new. That there's going to be no more sin. There's going to be no more death. There's going to be no more tears. I, I hate to spoil the end of the book, but if you look at the end of Revelation, that's how it's all resolved. God makes all things new. And he says, in Jesus, that reality has broken through, broken through into the present. Not fully and not finally. There's still tears. There's still death. There's still pain and toil in it all. But there's this experience in this environment that we can find ourselves in here and now today. And that is this new creation. That the overlap of the ages can meet us in the everyday places of our life. Tim Keller says, all that matters is that through Christ crucified, we are made a new creation. And Paul also says that in 2 Corinthians 5. The gospel changes my future, giving me a place in, God's, in Christ's perfected recreation. And the gospel changes my present, giving me a whole new self-image and a whole new way of relating to everyone. And so that all sounds like really great news, but uh, the question that we have talked through, and Anthony will provide you with a very compelling answer today, is what's the litmus test for that? Mm -hmm. How does one know if they are living into and walking in the new creation? If they're in step with the Spirit, as Paul commanded them in chapter 5, how do we know if or when we are living into that reality? Yeah. Well, I guess the question is, is the gospel, is Christ a help or is he a hope? Is he your help or is, your, is he your hope? Because um, help means that there's still work to do. If, if Jesus is coming alongside you and helping, well, then there's still work to do. And then that can be terrifying and exhausting and really sad at the end of the day. It's the bumper sticker, uh, God is my co-pilot. Yeah, exactly. Sidekick mentality. Exactly, yeah, yeah. Um, I want Jesus to take the whole wheel, yeah. the, the whole thing. Um, but if Jesus is helping us, then there's more that we have to give. There's more that we have to achieve. There's more that we have to learn. There's, there are things that we have not mastered and we know that is so present in our life and that we have to continue pursuing. And, then, and, and so what it is is a never-ending treadmill of trying. 
And that's what happens if Jesus is a help. But if Jesus is our hope, if the gospel is, is our hope, and it's not hope like we understand in terms of, Amer- of our English language, like I hope it works out. May, it may or may not work out. No, Christian hope is a certainty. And, and that's the difference, and that's the perspective we need to take into our understanding of the gospel and Christ and his work. That we have everything hinged on his work. Meaning, meaning that our identities, our salvation, our sanctification, everything that gives us significance in this world has been given to us by Christ Jesus and the glorious good news that is declared in the gospel. And therefore, we can really, really rest. You see, and boasting, and that's why Paul wraps up chapter 6 with this idea around boasting, because he says, boasting is your litmus test to help you understand how you understand these concepts. Can we, and here's the thing, can we settle on God getting every last ounce of the glory, or do we need um, some sort of representation? Do we need recognition, kudos, acknowledgement? Must I insist, even in the biggest thing that we could conceptualize in our minds, do I need some sort of self-representation? And do I have to show God what I bring to the table in order for him to love me and uh, save me? And the thing is, that's what's going on with the Galatians. And it's an important question that we must ask ourselves. We must be ruthless with our answers And so, is Christ alone enough? Is Christ alone enough to give me my identity, to give me my salvation, to give me my sanctification, to give me what I need for this life? And here's the thing. Is Christ alone enough? You'll find the answer to that when Jesus is all you have. There are moments in our lives when Jesus is all we have. And you will find the answer to that question when you realize he is all you have. And here's the thing. Here's a follow-up question. When you don't get what you think you need, what do you do and where do you go? Because what you do, what do you do and where do you go will always tell you what you actually need, what you think you need. And so is Christ alone enough? That's basically what Paul is trying to tell the Galatians. That's how it started, and how, that's how it must finish for them to flourish in the life that he's called them to. And this, this, the, same that was, the same truth is true to them 2,000 years ago is true to us today. And there's a lot of metaphors that Scripture give us to explain the process that is life, right? If you look at Matthew 7, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus compares following him as building a house. One on the sand, one on the rock. In other letters, Paul would talk about the Christian life as that of uh, a battle uh, in being a soldier. He talks about being a farmer. And here he compares it in one of the more popular metaphors as that of a walk. He says in verse number 16, and for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. Mm -hmm. And so he draws out the metaphor of that of a uh, afternoon, evening, morning, whatever time of day kind of person you are, stroll. And there's a lot to be learned by walking, right? Mm -hmm. That there's a process, there's 
joy. There can be, if you go long enough, I've been told pain. Um, a lot of pain uh, as the distance gets longer. <laughs> a lot, a lot, a lot of pain. Uh, you know. I'm having yeah, PTSD yeah. right yeah. now. Calm down. Yeah. Keep going. Um, Keep going. Yeah. But, but he, he, in walking, that there's this slow process, but the good news is that we are joining and learning with and from Messiah Jesus. That, that walking by this rule speaks of there's a way to be operating in this world that in chapter 5 he says, keeping in step with the Spirit. There was an old uh, campaign that probably made a gajillion dollars when I was a kid, the WWJD campaign. You remember that? What would Jesus do? And there's bracelets and shirts and all of the things. And that simple question is a piercing one. Uh, Dallas Willard, who was a philosopher at USC, he, he makes it a little more artsy and a little more all-encompassing, that idea. He says, discipleship is the process of becoming who Jesus would be if he were you. So in your situation, what would Jesus do if he were you? It takes it out of the WWJD, a little bit out of the abstract, and puts it into a little more concrete through your eyes, your lens, your mm -hmm. situation. Mm -hmm. What would Jesus do if he were me? That's the process of discipleship. It's learning the way of our Messiah and Master, Jesus. And when things don't go our way in life, when dreams don't come true on this side of eternity, how do we react in there? And often they're good indicators of areas of uh, blessed growth needed. And the Bible doesn't throw shame at us in those places. It gives us grace. It, it doesn't throw more law at us. It points us to a place where we can rest. Again, many of us look at those areas of growth that are needed as shortcomings, failures, and then we get shame and guilt, and we go to the law. I can get myself out of this. I can do better. I can try harder. I got this. And God isn't demanding that of us. He's saying, come alongside me and find rest. Come alongside me and find hope. Come alongside me and find a love that you could have never Imagine an acceptance, an inheritance, a, a new reality is the family of God. And so what we often need is in all of life evaluation, asking God and one another, what do you see in my life that isn't consistent or to use words of my friend Anthony, what isn't congruent with the kingdom of God? What do you see in me, Jesus, and one another that doesn't line up with the kingdom of God? not for morbid introspection, but evaluation together mm -hmm. to see our habits and practices and choices, do they line up with this promise of new creation? Mm -hmm. And in that place, there's mercy and peace. Paul's re recapitulating the blessing, uh, the uh, blessing of Aaron to the people of God in Numbers chapter 6 and many of the Psalms for God's people, and he's saying this is the reality for God's people today. That's the place to be. When you find yourself restless, hopeless, struggling, frustrated, angry, those are all indicators pointing you back to where you can find rest, joy, hope, and peace. And it's not in figuring it all out. It's not in accomplishing all of your goals, having your dreams come true. It's in placing your trust and rest and hope in Jesus. Mm -hmm. And so Paul the gospel and Jesus, they're 
simply inviting us to see and live lives which see all through the lens of grace. That's Christianity in a nutshell. God is just helping, just inviting us to put on gospel goggles and see the world through the love of God. And for some reason, for some reason, it's, you know, well, Paul does talk about it in chapter five, the war with the spirit and the flesh. We want to, we, we wear other goggles. And we, we see the world and it, it's been shaped by childhoods and decisions made and things done to us, et cetera, et cetera. And it clouds things, but God is always inviting us to just put on gospel goggles and see life and do life through the lens of grace. And so how do we know if this is happened, has happened, or is happening uh, in our life? When, as uh, Donald Guthrie explains, when the natural world has ceased to have any claims on us. That sounds pretty, maybe a little esoteric, but pretty fantastic too. When the world ceases to have any claims on us. How do we, what does that mean? Well, for, yeah, what is that? Let's, let's talk about what that means. Tim Keller has a great explanation. He says, the gospel changes what I fundamentally boast in. It changes the whole basis for my identity. Nothing in the world, uh, the whole world has any power over me. I am free at last to enjoy the world, for I do not need the world. I feel neither inferior to anyone nor superior to anyone, and I am being made uh, all over into someone and something entirely new. That's what it means to be a new creation. And so, and that's, what, that's one real simple way to evaluate your heart. How do I know I'm looking at life with these gospel goggles? How do I know um, I'm living into the freedom and the true rest that God, God has uh, purchased for me? How do, I, how do I know I'm at the end of zucosis? Well, when you can actually just live life, the one that God has called you to in, in, in total and complete rest that has been provi- provided by the Son of God on the cross and in his resurrection. It sounds pretty good. It sounds pretty simple. And because that part of it really is. That part of it, really, it truly is. If God gets all the glory, if our boast is in, in, in him alone, then it's always about grace. And then we can rest. And so I would like to just close with uh, old Philip Doddridge uh, hymn that um, I've been reading with a buddy of mine. It came up in, I think, chapter, chapter 11 or 12 in, uh, in uh, J.I. Packer's book. What's this? What's this? Knowing what? God. Knowing God, that really, really famous one. It's really good. Here's, here's, the, here's the hymn. Grace, tis a charming sound, harmonious to the ear. Heaven with the echo shall resound, and all the earth shall hear. Grace first contrived the way to save rebellious man, and all the steps that grace display which drew the wondrous plan. Grace first inscribed my name in God's eternal book. T'was grace that gave me to the Lamb who all my sorrows took. Grace led my wandering feet to tread the heavenly road, and new supplies each hour I meet while pressing on to God. Grace taught my soul to pray and made my eyes overflow. T'was grace that kept me to this day and will not let me go. Grace, all the work shall crown through everlasting days. 
It lays in heaven the topmost stone and well deserves the praise. So my friends, my brothers and sisters, may we um, resist climbing back into the cage, stand firmly on the freedom that Christ has purchased for us and, and stay free. Let's pray. So, Father, thank you for the good news that grace invites us in again and again. And so you know our hearts, where we're at, what we need. And would you meet us in that place with the reminder of who you are and what you've invited us into through the cross and resurrection with one another. Lord, from the youngest to oldest, may we see Jesus today as clear and compelling as possible that you offer such a better way, that you offer such a better hope, such a better life, such a better rest now and forever. And would you continue to reorient our hearts through the songs we're about to sing, the communion we're about to take, through the money we're about to give, um, and use all of it for your purpose, for your glory, and for the good of those around us. In Christ's name we pray, amen.